well, I really don't want to give my life to Christ. I love my own life. I love what I want to do, but it's kind of fun to hang out at a church. It's kind of fun to, you know, kind of be in the club. So, you know what, I'm just going to pretend. Well, that's not spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation is this. My life is no longer my own. I see my wretched wickedness for what it is in the face of a holy God. I no longer want to live in the self-imposed prison on this merry-go-round going nowhere. I want to surrender my life to Jesus, and I want to finally be set free. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged challenged and motivated to live for God like never before. And now with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we truly bow before you today in a posture of the heart that is contrite, that is humble. Lord, right out of the gate today, before we open your glorious word, we just want to acknowledge this, that God, we need you on every level. God, we're not going to be prideful enough to say that we only need you in certain areas. God, we need you on every level of life. And God, we need you just not on every level, but we need thee every moment of every day. So Father, as we just confess even right now before you uh, the struggles in our lives, perhaps challenges of sin patterns that rear their ugly heads, As we just get honest and open before you, your word is so clear that that for those who are humble and contrite in spirit, it's on those that you look. So Father, I pray for myself, I pray you'd create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Search me, O God. Know my heart, O God. Try me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Then lead me in the way everlasting. Father, I pray that would be our heart's cry all over this room today. So, Father, as we open your word, word of God, would you speak? Holy Spirit, we pray that You would move in this place in power. God, if there's one here today that has never truly surrendered their life to you, oh, I plead, I plead with you, God. May today be their day of salvation. Because you live, we can face today. And because you live, we can face tomorrow. Lord, give us a renewed sense of strength. Give us a renewed sense of purpose. Give us, Father, a renewed sense that we know you're for us and not against us. As we stand valiantly for your truth, God, may many come to the cross of Jesus Christ as we decrease and you increase, all for the fame of your name. And we pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of the only Savior who is risen, and He is risen indeed. His name is Jesus Christ, and we pray this in His name, and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible on this happy Mother's Day to turn, if you would, with me to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And I want us to think out loud here today, I want us to think rhetorically uh, as your Bibles are open, uh, prayerfully have your notes ready to go, and we're digging deep and mining the Scriptures together. I-, I pray that as you look intently into the Word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, if you will, 
I pray that we will understand that, that God is truly the great God. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, we believe without any doubt that we serve the great God of the Bible, and He's alive today. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know your struggles. Uh, you know, we're all on this path, this journey of life that, that is difficult, and we face challenges and setbacks and uh, so much disappointment and discouragement along the way. I just pray that you would know with confidence today that our God, He loves you. Amen, church? that He is here, that He's not leaving you nor forsaking you as you've given your life to Christ, that He's got a plan for you. Now, His plan may not be my plan or your plan, and a lot of times it's not, amen? But we trust His plan. We, we trust and obey, for there's no other way to what, church? To be happy in who? Jesus, but to trust and obey. So here we are as we bask, I pray, in the joy of the Word. And as I begin to read this, I want you to think on a question and ask yourself rhetorically this question, but what is it that you desire most in life? Just think about that for a moment. What is it today that, that you, that I, that we desire most in life? Whatever I and you desire most in life is, is where we're headed. It's what's driving us. It, it's, it's where we're looking for, for hope. It's where we're looking for our joy and contentment. What are you and I desiring most in life? Well, here in these verses, in verses 8 through 9 of 2 Peter chapter 1, I pray you follow along. And this is just not for moms. This is for all of us as we study this together. Here it is. 2 Peter 1, 8 through 9, it says this, for if these qualities, we've studied these now for uh, three weeks, are yours and are increasing. So very important, don't, don't miss this. So there's qualities, we're going to just recap those briefly here, and then here it is, they've got to be ours, they've they got to be mine, I've got to call them my own, and they need to be increasing. What will they do, Church? They keep you from being what? Ineffective or unfruitful where? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities, so here's a warning. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Wow. Having forgotten that he was cleansed, from his former sins. Hmm. What are you and I willing to die for today? There's a, a phrase I often use, and it goes something like this. You can't die on every hill, but you got to figure out which hills you're going to die on. And in this culture that we live in, and the utter insanity that's going on, that we see right now in our culture, this Roe v. Wade that has now uh, crept upon our doorstep. And, and to our knowledge today that we see 60 plus million innocent lives that have been executed at the hands of a free choice. We, we think what's going on in our school system today and how there's such indoctrination of, of our children and confusing them. Is this really what God said? Is this really what God means? We see so much in our economic upheaval that's going on and the political system and on and on we could go. In your individual home, maybe right now you're thinking right now of your little church, your little home that perhaps right now is so disjointed, in disarray, it's so fractured, and this is all part of, yes, God's sovereign plan that he's allowing this stuff to happen, but in the midst of that, we have to remember that the enemy is alive and well. That the enemy, I've said this over and over, and I'm going to say it again this morning, that if you've given your life to Jesus, the enemy hates the Jesus in you. That he hates Jesus. You can say the name of God in our culture, 
and, and that's somewhat palatable, right? I mean, you can say that, and, and you can kind of assign, you know, who your God is, but when you say the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who's come to give life abundantly and free, when you speak the name of Jesus, those are fighting words. It always divides the room. How many of us today want to be effective in their spiritual walk? I mean, I want to be effective. Who wants to be fruitful in their spiritual walk? Amen? I want to be fruitful. And right here in God's Word, it says this in verse 8 again. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are these qualities? Well, again, we've studied them. You have virtue. You have knowledge of Christ. You have self-control. You have steadfastness. There's a holiness, a godliness. There's brotherly affection. And all that's tied into these, that is woven through all of these seven attributes, these characteristics, these qualities, is the element of love. When I was processing this and reading this, I couldn't help but notice that it said this, that if they are yours, when you study that hermeneutically, how it's written in the original, you see this very clearly that what is meaning here is possession, you know, so often as I'm pastoring and ministering, I talk to people that claim Christ, but you can see very quickly that he does not possess them. Peter here, again, the one who denied Christ three times. Peter here, again, the one who Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. Satan. For you have in mind the things of men, not the things of my great God, my Father. Still in the midst of all of that rebuke goes, wait a minute, I'm not done with you. And isn't that great news for me and for you today? Aren't you glad that Jesus is not done with us? Aren't you glad that he has a hope and a plan and a purpose for your life today? And again, it's not about what we're doing. It's really more about the why. We talked about that at Easter, the why. We'll discuss that Jesus went to the cross and well, that was horrible and bad. We'll talk about that he went to a grave and that was horrible and bad. We'll talk about that he rose from the grave. That was great. That's all the what, but we forget so often to talk about the why. The why is the underpinning in your life today. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, the why is what motivates you. Again, it's just not fire insurance that you can check off the box and go, hey, I did this and I'm good. No, it's, th there's a why behind it that, that God through his, God through his sovereign plan, as he gives his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him through action, it's not passive, it's real, it's not fake, it's true, it's not a charade. For those who give their life to Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the greatest news you can hear, Amen. Aren't you glad that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me? Man, that, that just blows your mind, doesn't it? We didn't get cleaned up and polished off. No, God goes, he looks at me, he looks at you as we give our lives to him through Jesus. And he goes, while I was a sinner, while you were a sinner, Christ died for us. But the real question of the hour is this, do we possess these qualities? If you possess them, the Bible says here in this verse in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 8, if you possess them, if they're yours, because why? You've given your life to Christ. It's what we call part of the, the fruit of the Spirit, the outflow of the Spirit. You've got to remember that what you take in is what you send out. There's outflow and there's inflow. And so whatever's coming in is, is going to go out in my life and your life. And right here we see these seven qualities the question is, are they increasing now in our lives? Number one, do we possess them? But number two, are they increasing? We talk often here at this church about sanctification. It's a glorious, glorious term. It simply means this, ongoing change, here it is, becoming more 
like Jesus. Ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus. You could say it like this, we are increasing, right? It's part of the walk. We possess these things, we're not perfect, we're not fully glorified, but yes, we are being sanctified. It's a present tense from the moment of justification declared righteous by the royal righteous blood of King Jesus as we go towards glorification when we exit this life and we're in his presence, there is this block of time. And for us, it seems like it's a long time, but it's not a long time. And we are being sanctified. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are being, here it is, this is a hard one, but through the fire, through the chisel and the hammer, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Well, the fire can be rough, can it? The refiner's fire, but it purifies. The chisel can be rough, but it's for our good. The hammer for the the metal smith, as he or she, they beat that metal. They got to beat it to form it, to conform it. That's exactly what's going on in sanctification. So often we think about sanctification being kind of this Humpty Dumpty, Milky Toast, you know, Mr. Rogers type escapade where we just kind of scoot along through life and we're good and, you know, playing harps, floating on clouds, singing kumbaya, and that's just not how this works. The Bible says this, that as Christ is talking to Peter, who's wrote this great writing, he says, Satan has asked for you. Satan has asked for you that he might do something to you. What does he want to do to me? He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to put you in there and just shake you up. He wants to rattle your cage. He wants to try to get you to apostate. And then Jesus says these words to Peter. But I have prayed for you. Just wrap your head around that church. Jesus Christ. But I've prayed for you. And when you return, go strengthen your brothers. That's biblical sanctification. And oh, how so many people fight against it. They don't want it. They don't want the qualities. And it looks like on the surface they're being effective. But to Peter's point... They're actually being ineffective and unfruitful. Write down this key number one in your notes. Write this down. In order to avoid being spiritually ineffective, the seven qualities in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 must be taking root in my heart and must be increasing in my sanctification. Write that down, key number one, in order to avoid being spiritually ineffective, the seven qualities, again, what are those? We talked about those. You got your virtue and your knowledge, self-control, your steadfastness, your holiness, your godliness, your brotherly affection, your love. It must be taking root in my heart. It must be increasing in my sanctification. It was interesting when I was studying this that through a parallel passage that uses the same word. I wanted to show you something. I want you to write down Matthew chapter 13. Because as you write that down, you got to remember what do these qualities do? Well, they keep you. Look in your Bible at verse 8. They keep you from being ineffective. It means this in the original language to, when something's ineffective, it means to be rendered useless. You could actually argue this in the Greek, that it means to be dead. So just kind of think through that. So here's the seven qualities. We've studied them one by one by one by one by one. I pray that everyone in the church house today is going, man, I want those to be increasing in my life because I know this as your pastor, I want these to be increasing in my life. Like I need these in my life. 
I need my sanctification to continue to grow and be like Christ as he takes me through the fire, as he takes me through the difficult times of the hammer, if you will, and the chisel. I need that in my life. And yet we see right here that it keeps us. Keeps us from what? To not be unfruitful. Think about fruit as we get to Matthew 13, because I'm going to show you something here. So Matthew 13 is going to talk about being unfruitful here in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about this, and the thought is this. Being unfruitful means this, to be barren, or it means to not yield fruit. Unfruitful. Fruitful would be to yield fruit. The Bible is so clear on this, as I give you a a few verses to show us this thought. Matthew 13 says it like this in verse 22. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, so they hear it, but the cares of the world, so the busyness of life, and the deceitfulness of riches, what do they do, church? They choke what? The word. Did you catch that? That's very interesting. So often we think that they choke the people. That's not what happens. I mean, let me read this one more time. This is very, very profound. Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, and by the way, there were, there were four instances of sowing going on here. One was good, three were bad. This is the one who hears. So they hear it. They've heard the truth. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the way to walk. But life gets in the way. Life gets in the way, the one thing that will actually set them free. And it begins to do something. It begins to do what? It chokes out the word as the deceitfulness of, yes, even riches, the pursuit of those things, comes into play and it proves to be unfruitful. Peter here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, is writing to people that profess to be believers. Uh, You know this by now, that not everyone who professes to be a believer is actually a true believer. Uh, The one who surrenders their life to Christ, the one who's bearing fruit, the, the one who's showing acts that are acts of fruitfulness that are worthy of repentance is what the Bible says. And you'll see that in a person's life. And here's the deal, that time is the great exposure of who we all really are. Time is the great exposer of who I am and who you are. Uh, You can keep up the charade for a period of time if it's not a real conversion, but you can't keep it up indefinitely. It's too much work. At some point, that person will will stub their toe. They'll stumble. But when you're truly in Christ, you don't have to try to act it out or masquerade it, so to speak. It's just who you are. You're not perfect. You're journeying towards Christ, your sanctification, but it begins to be an outflow of who you really are. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I thought about this thought as well from Romans. Write this down, Romans chapter 6. Beautiful words. Romans chapter 6. I love the book of Romans. Romans has 16 chapters, and they're just amazing. Romans 6, verses 20 through 22, it says this, For when you were slaves of sin, so picture that, there's a bondage going on. There's an enslavement. There's an incarceration, if you will, of sin. You were free in regards to righteousness. Now, now that's interesting. I hope today that none of us are going, boy, I want to be free from righteousness. Uh, That would be a wrong answer. You, You want to be free from sin. Goes on and says this, but what, help me here, church, fruit, were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, not physical death per se, could be, but what's in view here is a spiritual death. But now, I love this, 
that you have been set free. Like, does that just fire anyone else up besides me? But now you have been set free. From what? From sin and have become slaves of God, willing servants, giving up your rights. Even though the culture says, look, it's all about me, it's all about you, it's all about you fight for your rights, you be number one, you just self, 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 self. No, we've been set free. Become slaves of God that the fruit you get leads to what church? sanctification, ongoing change, becoming more like Christ, and it's in what church? Eternal life. I don't know if you know this, but there are only two end destinations in your journey, in my journey. There's only two. You and I will either end up in the presence of King Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged there not for our salvation, but for our reward. The only other option is to end up at the great white throne judgment. And, and my heart weeps even just saying those words out loud because how many people are going to end up there that, that profess Christ, that Jesus, man, we did all these things, man, we served. I mean, I was a pastor, I was a deacon, I was a Sunday school teacher, went to church most of the time, even got a ribbon in second grade for good attendance. And Jesus is like, I never knew you, just get away from me. Which breaks my heart. So many people are just deceived. And yet here it is, eternal life. We're either on the wide path that leads to destruction or on the narrow way that leads to life. Now think about this for a moment, church. Write this down, John 15, 4 through 5. John 15, 4 through 5. Think about your spiritual effectiveness like this. I want you just to, to ponder this. So write down in your notes, write down root and fruit. Just write that somewhere in the margin, root and fruit. This is a glorious, simple concept to understand, root and fruit. What you and I are rooted to is, is what we will, I guess, fruited to. That doesn't rhyme very well. So I think you get the point, right? I mean, it's root. There's going to be an outflow from the root. If you're rooted to the gospel, if you're rooted to God's word, there's going to be fruit that gets born from that. Here's what John 15 says. Abide in me. Does anyone know who me is? Wild guess. Just take a guess. Jesus. Great, great guess. Most of the time you'll be right if you say that. Abide in me and I in you. Boy, do you see the connection there? Do you see this, how this works? There's a, it, this isn't a one-way street. This is a relationship. Not religion. It's a relationship. That's why the enemy is so, so desperate to divide and conquer. Let me just get in there and cause problems and divide. No. Jesus says, abide in me. It's that word in the Greek that means this, to be riveted to, to be welded to, to be tethered to. There's an anchor that, that you've given your life to Christ, and now you are abiding in the true vine. He talks about that in the verses preceding here, not on the screen, but he tells us, look, there's a true vine. I'm it, Jesus says. That means there's a whole bunch of false vines out there. And again, the enemy, he doesn't come at you in the little red suit, right, with a pitchfork. He masquerades as a cosmopolitan of light. He looks so good. He looks so true. And if you're not in the Word, you've heard me say this before, if you're not in the Word and the Word is not in you, if you're not minding the Scriptures, how will you and I know what's false if we first don't know what's true? And the enemy knows this. That's why the enemy is so intent on using his schemes and his devices as the Bible goes on and says this right here so beautifully in John 15, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. One of the tactics of the enemies today is this, he would want to tell me and you that even though we're the branch, that we can somehow bear the fruit by ourselves. Well, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Maybe you're in a mess today. 
Uh, maybe you're a mother today and, and life's just really, 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 really challenging. The enemy's going to do everything in his power to go, you know what, you can do this. And I know this, that the moments that I've done that in my life where I've bitten hook, line, and sinker, and I've bought that lie, well, the consequences are catastrophic. No, abide in the branch here. Abide in the vine. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. And then he says this in John 15, 4 through 5. I love this. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. He repeats it. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him repeats it again. Why do you think he keeps repeating this? It's so important. He it is that bears not just fruit, but much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do what, church? Nothing. You see how important this is? If you're here today as a mom, as a dad, as a student, as a child, and, and you want to bear fruit for Jesus, the key is it's fairly simple, but boy, it's hard because we live in this polytheistic world, don't we? All these little gods are just floating around in America. They're just whispering our name. They're saying, hey, come over here and come over here. And you don't got time for this. And you don't got time for that. And look at all these things. And Sundays are now the new Saturday. And our, our, our Sunday gets packed. And man, we're just tired. And we're just busy. And all the stuff that goes on. Just a, just a scheme of the enemy is what it is. Just a scheme of the enemy. That's why we stay true to the word. Amen, church? Think about this, James chapter 2, verse 20. We've studied this months and months and months and months and months ago. He drills down right here to the point of the connection of your faith and your obedience. And there is a connection. Right here he says this under this key one. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Not overly complimentary in case you were wondering. That faith apart from works is useless. Have we heard that word before? Let me read this again. Powerful. 2 Peter 1.8. For if these qualities, these seven qualities, are yours, possession, and are increasing in sanctification, they keep you, they keep you, they keep you, they prevent you, they make sure this isn't going to happen. They're guardrails of being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of who? Knowledge of your job? No. Knowledge of your family? No. Knowledge of your favorite sports team? No. The knowledge of the most important one in your life prayerfully in King Jesus and the enemy is going to do everything he can. He's so crafty. He's so cunning. He's so sneaky. He's going to do everything he can to keep you and I from the knowledge of Christ. Faith without works is dead. Not for salvation. We talk about this ad nauseum. Not for the rescue, but from it. When someone's truly rescued, there will be the evidence that's increasing and possessing in our lives today, and we'll see it so clearly. Remember that old song that we used to sing? Maybe we still do as adults. I hope we do. But as children, we often sing, Jesus loves me. You guys know that song? I'm the only one that knows that song. Well, this is lonely up here. Okay, a couple of us. All right. Okay. Jesus loves me, this I feel. For the Bible kind of mentions it. Is that how that goes? Jesus loves me, this I know. But I know what you know, not what you feel. Your feelings, my feelings will betray us. We'll get deceived. We'll listen to this and that and be led astray. No, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. What a powerful thought from God's Word. Verse 9, as we close on this back half of this mountain, it's a warning for moms, yes, but for all of us. Here it is, verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities, this is it's pretty in your face, is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So think through this for a moment. Let me just read that one more time. Let that sink in, this warning, warning. 
Whoever lacks these qualities, well, what qualities? Well, again, virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and holiness, godliness and brotherly affection and love. If we lack these things, here it is. This is God's Word. If we believe in God's Word, it's either absolute or it's obsolete. We just can't pick this and pick that, and that makes me feel good, and well, that convicts me. And I learned this, by the way, that, you know, when I'm convicted by God's Word and I feel guilty, do you know what I've learned? I've learned that I'm typically guilty. I mean, there's a reason why I'm, I'm under heavy conviction. It's like God's trying to get my attention. Forever lacks these qualities. It's interesting. So help me on this for a minute. Let's just kind of have a Bible study here. The first part of the verse says, for if these qualities are yours, what did we deduct that actually means? It means that we possess them, correct? This is very intriguing. Look at verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities, take a wild guess what it means in the original. It means whoever does not possess these qualities. I mean, do you see how important this is? That there would be this possession? And again, here's the beautiful part of this. You can't somehow manufacture these things in your life. Well, I really don't want to give my life to Christ. I love my own life. I love what I want to do, but it's kind of fun to hang out at a church. It's kind of fun to, you know, kind of be in the club. So, you know what, I'm just going to pretend. Well, that's not spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation is this, my life is no longer my own. I see my wretched wickedness for what it is in the face of a holy God. I no longer want to live in the self-imposed prison on this merry-go-round going nowhere. I want to surrender my life to Jesus, and I want to finally be set free. And when you come to that conclusion in your life that you surrender, just totally holding nothing back, the enemy will say, look, you're going to lose everything, but the reality from Scripture, we stick to the bedrock, is this, that you actually will gain everything. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? It's a lot to gain in the whole world, fleshly. But all of that compared to eternity and losing your life for eternity into an eternal destruction will be with regret that cannot be explained. Having forgotten, it says this. What does it lead to? For whoever lacks, does not possess these qualities, is so nearsighted. It means this to be spiritually blind. What does this blindness lead to? Well, look in your Bible. It leads to spiritual amnesia. How do you know? Well, here's what it says. Having forgotten. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Having forgotten what? That he was cleansed from his former sins. So you kind of have two paths here. Let's dissect here for a moment. There's a reality that you and I could be walking in Christ, that it could actually be true, like it's real, and we can venture off the path, and that can happen, and we can be nearsighted and blind. That can happen. And prayerfully, like the prodigal son, we get pulled back in by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are now walking in that newness of life once again. But the reality is there's also a second path here, and again, the Bible talks about this over and over and over. You see this in the pursuit of Christ and the rich young ruler. You see this in the crowds that are following Christ. I mean, they're following after Jesus. I mean, he's got the first mega church just following after him. That would have been amazing, right? I mean, he's doing his thing. He's just like, bam, healed, bam, healed. Let me do this. Let me do that. And people are like, this guy's wild, man. Let's follow this guy. And he turns to them. He turns them, the Bible says. And this is very interesting. This is probably not the greatest church growth strategy. He's got all these people following him, and he turns around and he goes, why are you following me? Well, like, what is it? What's the motive of your heart? And he begins to thin the crowd. Matter of fact, we see this there in John chapter 6. It's not on your notes, but John chapter 6, 66, interesting verse, 666, amen? Woo, wow. Here we are. Then many of his disciples, what? They abandoned him and walked with him no more. <laughs> like they, they're like, man, this is too much. This is too high a price. We turned over the price tag on this. And go, woo, man, I'm not paying that. And what did Jesus do? Well, he sat down and negotiated with them, right? <laughs> no, he didn't. He looks at Peter and goes, you want to go too? 
Wow. That's wild stuff there. You see what it is that the truth, the truth is so life-giving to those who have life. But to those who don't have real life, it's greatly offensive. And MacArthur, I think, said it best. MacArthur said that for those who don't really love the truth, they will resent it, they will fight it, and then they'll leave. Because it's just too much. And yet for those that have given their life to Christ, you begin to understand that, man, this is the air you breathe. Like, this, is, this is it. Like, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is coming back. Like, he's coming back. And only those who have truly given their life to Christ that he'll say, hey, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That those are the only ones that get to come in. And that so many, again, are deceived. That's why key number two is so important. Key number two, here it is, last one. If I claim to be a Christ follower, but there is not evidence of these seven qualities growing in my life, I am spiritually blind and spiritually forgetful. Let me say that again. Key number two, if I claim to be a Christ follower, but there is not evidence of these seven qualities growing in my life, I am spiritually blind and spiritually forgetful. Again, uh, could the person genuinely be saved? Well, only God's sovereign plan will reveal that. But we see very clearly here that in this illustration that at a very minimum there's going to be ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness, at least temporarily, that we've forgotten and had this spiritual amnesia. Uh, think, think about this for a moment. Maybe biblical saving faith. You know, what is that? You ever thought about that? Like, really, what is biblical saving faith? Like, what does that look like? Well, I think we see very clearly in Scripture, as I comb the Scriptures, I think we see very clearly that saving faith to the verses that we just alluded to prior in key number one, that we see very clearly that the saving faith will show an obedience. The Bible even talks about that, well, God says, you know, why do you sacrifice things to me? I'm not looking for your sacrifice. I'm, I'm looking for your obedience. And here's the challenge. It's hard to be obedient to someone who you've never surrendered your life to. See, that, that's the whole challenge. That's the fight. That's the struggle. Think about this from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Powerful words. And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the little G God of this world, Satan himself, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. What? Here it is. To keep them from. There it is. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Think about that. So the, the enemy, again, isn't this uh, little toy that is kind of annoying. The enemy is real. And again, mothers today, I'm just imploring you, all of our ladies, imploring you to, to live a life surrendered to Christ. That, that is the greatest gift you can give your children. The greatest gift you can give your children, moms today, ladies today, is that you live a life surrendered to Christ. That as you model that, as you live that out, as you're, as you're changing diapers to the glory of God, amen, you know, as you're working outside the home or inside the home, as you're doing dishes, as you're whatever you're doing, as you're doing it to the glory of God, you're, you're preaching sermons for your children to see through your action. And yet the God of this age, He blinds all of us from time to time. I know my prideful wickedness, I can be blinded by the pursuit of my own pride. Think about this, 1 John 1, and this is one that I've quoted often, and it's such an encouraging verse. 1 John 1, 8 through 9, but notice the humility here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now, I know you're thinking, well, preacher, you said it was encouraging. Well, hang on, just hang on there for a minute. And the truth is not in us. Well, it's, that's, that's pretty raw. If we say it, but wait a minute, we do have it, we deceive ourselves. 
We're tricked, we're lured, we're duped. The truth is not in us. However, nine, here, here's the key. Here's the, here it is. Here, here's the nugget, nine. But if we confess, if we literally say the same thing, if we agree with God, if, if I look at my sin, you look at your sin, your struggles, uh, maybe today it's an addiction, maybe it's a, a, a heavy sin pattern in your life that you, you can't just overcome, that there's a struggle there. Perhaps it's an attitude of the heart bitterness or jealousy or, you know, just any of those things, unforgiveness that roots in there. We don't even know it. It it just kind of gets in our hearts and we don't even know it's in there. It's just, it's there and it's building up that plaque in our hearts. That's what deception is. It's it's an allurement. It's being seduced, being brought over to the dark side. Well, what's it say? Love this. So beautiful. But if we confess our sins, we agree with God, not rationalizing, not justifying, not making excuses, going, God, here it is. This is, this is what's happened, and I'm just going to call it out. I'm going to bring it to the light where it has no power. See, the sin in my life and your life that is so present at the doorstep of each of our lives, whatever it is that's jockeying to get in your life and my life, it doesn't have any power in the light. You bring it into the light, whatever it is, and it has no more power. That's why the enemy wants to keep everything dark. Well, here it is. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Can I get an amen? He is faithful. Do you believe God's faithful today? I believe God's faithful, amen? He is faithful and just to forgive. It means this in the original, to pardon. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this is crazy junk, isn't it? I mean, think about this. Like, I'm guilty as all get out when it comes to sin. And God looks at me and goes, here's the deal, John, as you've given your life to Christ and you're now on this path of sanctification, you're not perfect, you're still flawed, but you're being pounded by the hammer, you're being chiseled by the chisel, you're being brought through the fire to be more like Jesus. Here's the great news, he pardons me, he pardons you. I mean, that's just crazy. I'm guilty. I'm condemned to death, spiritual death, I'm condemned. But Jesus goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm gonna be your greatest Perry Mason there is, your trial attorney. And he slips on the scene, he gets in the courtroom as God is about to hit the hammer and he goes, wait a minute, time out, that's my son. You put your name in there, that's my daughter. She is now a child of me as I have now atoned for her sin. Her sin has been washed as far as the east as to the west and she and he, they bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It is well with our soul, amen? That's the glory of this. That's the glory of giving your life to Jesus. And the enemy is going to do everything in his power to keep you away. Just keep you away. Going to make you busy. Going to fill your schedule. Going to get you distracted here and distracted there. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be ineffective for the glory of God. Last thought, here it is. If you and I, hear me clearly on this, if you're here today and you really want these seven qualities to be in your life and ever increasing, you're going to have to fall in love with your Bible How does God speak to us? Do we know? Could God speak audibly? I think God can do whatever He wants, amen? He's never spoken to me audibly. I can assure you this, every day I open this Bible, He speaks to me. The enemy is going to do everything in his power to keep you and I out of the very thing that he's speaking to us. Fall in love with your Bible. Hey, here's a challenge. Bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church. Just try it. I would encourage you to bring a paper Bible. I'm not against digital Bibles. I like one. I got one. I use it. But there's something about when I open this Bible every day, it's almost like I'm going to God and going, God, here, you know what? I'm going to open this Bible, and I want it to be a symbol that I'm opening my heart to you. I want it to be a symbol that I'm opening my mind to you. Here's the challenge for me with my digital Bible. Uh, you got Wordle. <laughs> you got words with friends. You got hill climber. I got emails popping up. 
I got pictures of my vacation where everyone's wearing white on the beach, you know, popping up from nine years ago or whatever. There's all these distractions, right? But, but man, this forces me to dig. Well, I got to go in there and, well, well, you know, prayerfully, if this one's got some cheat sheets at the bottom, praise Jesus, amen, some notes there, and I can kind of look at those. But it forces me to dig, to mine the Scriptures. Oh, I pray today, church, I pray that you and I want to be effective for the Lord. I want to be effective. I want to be fruitful for Him. And I pray that for everyone here today. I pray that we would have these seven virtues, that we literally would have virtue, that we'd have the knowledge of Christ, that we'd have self-control, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, abiding in the true vine, Jesus. I pray that we'd have this steadfastness. Oh, I pray that we'd have this holiness and godliness and be pursuing it in our lives. I pray there'd be brotherly affection all around here. I pray there'd be love, love that ties us all together. And oh, I pray that at the end of the day, that we'd all keep journeying towards Jesus because he's coming back one day. But as we sang today, because he lives, we can face today and church, we can face tomorrow. Amen. Lord, we come before you and we worship you. We bless your name on this Mother's Day. Lord, may you be glorified in this place. Lord, maybe there's one here today that is struggling and just in despair. Oh God, I pray, would you speak to that heart, encourage that heart, just encourage that heart, God, please. There's so many people that are stressed and just going through hard times and God, I pray they would rest on you, the rock. Because the Bible says this, there is no rock like our rock. God, I pray it be a time of true reflection, meditation, pondering your word. God, I pray that you take out anything that I've said today that would not be in accordance with your word. God, any human editing that I added in, Lord, I pray that you would remove that, that it would just simply be your word and your word spoken through. Oh God, we love you, and we know you're coming back, Jesus. And we so desperately want those that we prayed for earlier today to come along with us. Oh God, move in power in this time. For those that have never given their life to Christ, I pray they would. God, whatever you want to do, this is your moment. This is the breath that you've given us. It's not our breath. It's the breath you've given us. May we be faithful. And to you be the praise. To you be the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.